Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this Ash Wednesday is taken from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. They were to go up to that city to celebrate three major festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. It has been my privilege to travel to the city of Jerusalem four times, and because of that, I have in my possession this special pilgrim certificate, and I want to read it to you. It says, By this attestation, be it known that Daniel Sims, by virtue of fulfilling the biblical calling, has ascended to Jerusalem, the holy city, capital of Israel, and is henceforth authorized to bear the title of Jerusalem Pilgrim. So now that you know this from now on, I'll expect you to address me by my proper title. No more of this pastor nonsense. It's Jerusalem Pilgrim. Actually, this isn't meant to be taken seriously. It's really just a souvenir. It's kind of a, a gimmick for tourists. However, today we do begin a pilgrimage of sorts. This is no gimmick. This is very serious stuff. Today we begin our 40-day journey to our Savior's cross. And we're going to visit some very familiar places along the way. The Upper Room and the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to go to the House of the High Priest and the Palace of the Roman Governor. We'll kneel at the foot of the cross and gaze in wonder into the empty tomb of our Savior. Our Lenten series this year takes us to all these places and does so using little phrases, three words of truth each week. And these three words of truth are going to help us focus our attention on what's really important. Today, Ash Wednesday, we begin by looking into the mirror and taking an honest appraisal of ourselves, reflecting on our own sinfulness on the basis of God's Word, realizing that we are by nature nothing but dust and ashes. But my friends, as we look into that mirror of God's holy law, we'll also look past it and see that standing behind us is Jesus, our substitute and our Savior. We'll begin tonight by making the three-word question of the disciples our own. They asked, is it I? Is it I? And we can answer that question in two ways. Yes, it is I whom the Lord calls to repentance. And yes, it is I for whom the Savior willingly goes. 
In that upper room on that Thursday evening, Jesus taught his disciples many things, and he spoke to them many comforting words. He told them that he was going to heaven ahead of them to prepare a place for them. He told them that he would send his Holy Spirit to help them in the days to come. He told them to take heart because he had overcome the world. And these comforting words and others that he spoke to them would sustain them and strengthen them in hard days that were to come. But Jesus also dropped some bombshells in that upper room. One of them happened while his disciples were arguing with each other about which of them was the greatest, an argument that they had had before. And while that was happening, Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' filthy feet like a common household servant. I would imagine that when he did this, their arguing stopped and things became pretty quiet. And you could probably only hear the splashing of the water as Jesus bathed their feet and dried them with a towel. Later on, though, Jesus dropped an even bigger bombshell. During the Passover meal, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. I imagine there was probably another moment of stunned silence before all of them began asking one after the other, or all at the same time, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Judas would have joined them in asking that question too, because if he didn't, he would have clearly revealed his wicked plan. The NIV translates their question this way, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And that's accurate. They were expecting Jesus to answer with no. It's not you. And yet Matthew also tells us that as they were asking this question, their hearts were filled with sorrow. They didn't want it to be them who would betray the Lord. They didn't think it was going to be them. But at the same time, deep down inside, they were each thinking, it could be me. They knew that Jesus had the ability to read hearts and minds, and so perhaps they were thinking, maybe Jesus knows something about me and my heart that I don't even know about myself. It was doubt and fear that prompted their questions. Is it I? That little question reveals a lot, doesn't it? It reveals a lot about us and about our sin. None of us today here have actually betrayed our Lord to his enemies in order to collect 30 pieces of silver. However, in another very real sense, we have all betrayed him. For we are all sinners, and we all sin against him constantly. And that sin brings doubt and fear into our hearts and lives as well. And of course, it has the potential to cause much, much greater problems. Just look at Judas. And you think of his life and what he went through. Judas had every advantage, didn't he? He walked and talked with our Lord himself for three years. With his own eyes, he witnessed Jesus healing people and walking on water and feeding thousands. With his own ears, he heard Jesus preaching and teaching. Jesus had even sent Judas out with the other disciples on his own gospel preaching tour. But did you hear what Jesus said about him? It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. How could Judas fall so far? How could he betray his Lord? 
My friends, a more pressing question for us this afternoon. How could I? How can I continue to sin and the same sins over and over and over again. How can I continue to sin when my Lord has revealed His will so clearly to me, when His Word, He tells me right from wrong? How can I sin, keep on sinning and betraying my Lord when I see so many examples in God's Word, in the world, in my own life, perhaps members of my own family, who have turned, away, turned to sin and turned away from their Lord and have lost their faith in Him. Do I really stop to realize just how deadly my sin can be? What it can do to my life? It's not just that sin causes problems and irritations. It's not just that it causes friction in my relationships with others. I mean, my friends, do we realize that sin, if it's left unchecked, can drive the Spirit from our hearts and leave us standing before God's holy throne alone and naked and ashamed and without excuse and with nothing to look forward to but an eternity of suffering in hell. A wise professor once said this, Sin isn't like having the common cold. Sin is a terminal disease. Every funeral we attend and every cemetery that we drive by is a grim reminder of that fact. And Ash Wednesday, too, reminds us of our sinfulness and mortality and the judgment that is to come. Is it I? Yes, my friends, it is I whom our Lord calls to repentance today. When we examine ourselves honestly, when we look into the mirror of God's holy law without turning away, without flinching, what do we see there? We see doubt and fear and grief and betrayal. We see our sins. And yet, my friends, it wasn't just a bunch of fearful, doubting, question-asking disciples in that room on Holy Thursday. Jesus was there too. And in him we find love, love that goes beyond our understanding, love that takes our breath away. In love, Jesus does indeed confront us with our sins, doesn't he? He does so to cut off every avenue of self-escape, to get rid of this ridiculous idea that we sometimes have in our heads that we will be able to enter heaven on the basis, at least a little bit, of our own goodness. Jesus cuts that off. He does this so that we turn to him and so that we are saved. Listen again to what he says in our text. And these words, my friends, are probably ones that we don't usually pay that much attention to. They're easy to miss. He said, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Now, many people believe that Jesus ended up on the cross by accident. Uh, they think of Jesus just as one of the world's great religious teachers on par with Gandhi or Mother Teresa or something like that, who sadly got in over his head. He didn't realize exactly what he was doing, and so he unexpectedly ended up a victim of crucifixion. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
What happened to Jesus is what was written in God's Word. In the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, points forward to his coming and his saving work, including his death in place of sinners. He himself, during his ministry, predicted his suffering and death for us over and over again. He said, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. His crucifixion was no accident. It was planned already in eternity. It was on purpose that our Lord Jesus walked the hard and dark road to the cross. And why did he do it? Why didn't he run the other way? He even prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way, why didn't he run the other way? Why did he go? Why did he go to Gethsemane to meet his betrayer? Why did he go to the kangaroo court of Caiaphas and the palace of pagan Pilate? Why did he go to the flogging post? Why did he carry his own cross through the streets of jeering Jerusalem? Why did he go to gory Golgotha? Why did he go to the cursed cross? Why did he go to agony that defies our imagination and a most certain death? Again, why didn't he run as far away as he could in the other direction? He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it because there simply was no other way. You see, had Jesus run the other way, well then, my friends, you and I and every sinner, we would get exactly what we deserve. He didn't run the other way. The Savior of the world does not do that. He goes. And because he did, my friends, we don't get what we deserve. We get what he deserves, what he earned for us. A perfect relationship with our Father in heaven and glory that is everlasting. And after hearing all that, we need to ask another question. Really? Is this really all for me? Is this really for me, this work of Jesus that cleanses me from my sins? Is this really for me, this forgiveness and this peace? Is this really for me, this glorious promise of eternal life for all who believe in Jesus? Yes, my friends, it is for you. It's even for me. Brothers and sisters, the lesson is clear, is that it puts your trust in Jesus. Believe in the one who goes, who always goes, who went to the cross for you and for your salvation. Our God promises us the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Three words of truth. That's the theme for our Lenten series this year. Tonight, I want to leave you with three other words of truth. Words that are precious to us sinners. Words that allow us to sleep in peace each night. Words that add purpose to our lives and a spring to our step. Words that I can say to you with confidence only because of Jesus and his cross. You are forgiven. Amen. <laughs>